two, one. Welcome to a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and I'm joined as usual by Seth Winchow. How are you doing this week, Seth? I'm good. All right. I'm glad you're doing well. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Recurrent Auto. You can check your battery before buying a used EV and monitor your battery performance with monthly insight using Recurrent's free battery reports for EV owners. Uh, we're going to have a little bit more to say about them later on the show, so stay tuned for that. But uh, we're going to dive into the news this week right away, uh, starting by something that has been on everyone's mind, something that kind of uh, <laughs> co-opt the whole news cycle this week. It's one, I mean, I'm in Alabama right now, and just like I, I, I walk around and I hear people talking about it on the street, quite literally. Uh, it's uh, Elon's takeover of Twitter, or his attempt to take over on Twitter. So when we left it up last week, Uh, Elon has had, had invested into uh, the company, uh, buying about 9% of the share, becoming the largest individual shareholder in the company. Then uh, he was joining the board, or at least he, we, we, we thought he was joining the board. He said he accepted a board seat on, the, um, on Twitter's board of directors, but that uh, we, we, we noted that that seemed to be a, a move to prevent him from taking over the whole company because... Uh, it included um, a clause that said that he cannot own more than 14.9% of Twitter shares. And then what we learned a few days later is that uh, um, we, it was announced by um, the CEO of, of the company, but actually it was just on the 9th, I think it happened. And so just, just basically two days after he accepted the board seat, Uh, when it was supposed to become official that Elon was going to be on the board, uh, he let them know that he was not going to accept the board seat. And uh, the CEO made it sound like it was like, oh, that's a good thing. This is what we wanted, basically. Even though you offered him a board seat just days ago and uh, even warned of like, there's going to be a lot of noises uh, coming uh, your way and uh, warn employees, I mean. So be, uh, something to watch out for. So what yeah, you I think, speculated? I think he called it distraction, right? Yeah, distraction, noise. And uh, sure so enough, the foreshadowing of what's going to happen because he knew behind the scenes what was going to happen. Yes, and what pretty much everyone knew too. Like, so we reported at the time that if Elon is walking away from that, is that it's most likely that he decided that the hostile takeover situation would would make more sense for what he has what he had in mind. Uh, and sure enough, uh, just uh, a few days later uh, on April 14th, that was the uh, Uh, yesterday, Elon made an official offer to buy Twitter at uh, $54.20 per share. So he had to fit that $420 in there somewhere. Uh, so he's offering to buy 100% of Twitter share at $430. That, uh, he said that's a 55% premium over the first the day where he first started investing in the company and 38% premium over the day when uh, his uh, investment was disclosed. Of course, that's when the stock... Uh, popped up skyrocketed from from his disclosure that uh, he invested in a the company then it, that's where his announcement his proposal is starting to become a little bit uh, weirder so he says that uh, he says my my offer is my best and final offer so he's not here to negotiate apparently though obviously well, a lot of people say that and then end up negotiating after anyway but then that's where the threat starts If it is not accepted, I will need to reconsider my position as a shareholder, uh, which is not clear, but make it sound very much like he would sell his existing shares, which is a lot of shares. 
And just as the stock popped off when uh, he announced that he was investing in the company, if he starts unloading share, also if he, like the way you can unload share in a way, uh, that many shares in a way that's going to hurt the stock price a lot. So that would be a problem uh, for Twitter. So in terms of his logic for taking the company private, uh, buying all the share, taking it private, he says, uh, I invested in Twitter as I believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. So the platform. And I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. All right, sound good. However, since making my investments, probably not just since he's been making his investment, he's been talking about that for a while, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve the societal imperative in its current form. Uh, Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. So he elaborated a bit on what he wanted to do with it uh, during an interview at the TED 2022 uh, yesterday. Where he he said that well I mean he's he's still very gung ho about uh, the this this idea of free speech and everything and he he clarified that basically what he would do uh, it's something that a lot of other people have been trying to do emulate Twitter platform but instead of having uh, any kind of censoring uh, that's based on politics or even uh, some specific like term of use it would strictly be you can say whatever you want. As long as it's legal, basically, that's what it wasn't as clear as that, but as close as it gets to that. So as long as it operates in a market where laws prohibit speech to a degree, most often, like in the U.S., if you're trying to incite violence or something like that, then that would be obviously prohibited. But everything else would be allowed to a degree. Um And he talked about some of the major improvement that he would want to do. Is the um, the idea that uh, you would want to open source the code, the algorithm behind Twitter, and uh, make it so that any kind of change would be uh, visible, would be transparent, so that you know exactly what is uh, promoted, what is demoted, and uh, also edits would also be uh, part. Although they already exist as part of Twitter Blue, the, the subscription service, uh, and that's something else that he's been talking about about subscription service. He's been talking about removing ads trying to move away from twitter doing ads which uh, is going to be a hard thing to do because uh, i don't know what's the take rate on twitter blue but uh, i don't uh, i don't believe it's quite high did you get twitter blue set i did yes me too uh no it's useful like not to have like it's not that expensive too i think like yeah three, three bucks, bucks a month, month is, yeah. is fine yeah that's that's a good price point normally when you, you go around that but yeah uh someone just mentioned to the, the poison pill so apparently the board has has been considering the board doesn't seem uh, to be quite thrilled by this offer, to say the least. Nope. <laughs> uh, and and uh, it's it's clear, like so, some people are, are a bit confused about what's what's hap- what happens now. Now that the offer has been made official, it's been filed with the ACC and everything. Um, technically, the board decides it, they can refuse the offer right away, and it doesn't even go to a shareholders' vote. It's like they they have the right to do that if because because technically anyone could just like hey, I I offer three dollar per share on Twitter right now and file it with the ACC and like they're not gonna push that to a shareholder vote every time. So the 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 shareholder, but of course the whole idea of this behind this whole concept is like the board has a fiduciary duty to do what's best for the shareholders so if they think that this could be a good thing for shareholders and you would have to argue that it is like you you cannot argue that you have to give the option basically my understanding most of the time 
if the price is indeed higher than the current sell price of the, the, the current market price of the stock, they basically have to bring it to a shareholder vote because that gives anyone the opportunity to sell the, the stock at a higher price. So I think it's going to go to a shareholder vote. Uh, I don't see it not happening. However, whether it's going to pass, that's, that's the big, uh, the big question here. And uh, the board apparently in order, even if they to do anything, they are considering the, the poison pill defense, which w- would prevent anyone from, uh, f- from doing, uh, f- from buying more than a certain percentage of the company. But at the same time, it would, uh, negatively affect the stock. So the stock price. So that's where we are as it's at this moment. We don't have an official shareholder vote coming on everything, but we have a ton of opinion <laughs> in terms of uh, what it would mean for, um, for uh, the the platform, the Twitter, for for speech in general, especially in the U.S., for Elon as a, as someone that is quite busy already, like the the stock in Twitter. Well, the stock on Twitter reacted kind of weirdly yesterday. Like it went up on the news, of course, because you're offering like fifty dollars a share, but then it went down like by just as much, like because I feel like probably the shareholders just weren't that convinced by the offer. And uh, but Tesla went down a lot because like if if Elon buys Twitter, like the one thing is that people are assuming that he's gonna likely have to sell some shares of, of Tesla in order to pay for the the rest of the uh, of the money because he's probably have to take out like a maybe not the full amount but a significant amount. The whole offer is basically worth around forty one billion dollars, and. Uh, on top of that, it's just taking a lot. It's, it's going to take him some time, like maybe a lot of time, even especially at the beginning, uh, which is going to be time that he's not going to spend on, on on Tesla. So I don't know. Seth, let's start out. Like, what's uh, what's your whole opinion on this? So I mean, obviously, it seems kind of crazy, especially as somebody who's used Twitter for a long time, like and who's followed Elon Musk. Uh, it doesn't seem like his. You know, we have a a a personal history with him and. Um, free speech doesn't seem like his highest priority, um, especially in regards to Twitter. Um, at people who watch the show probably know that um, he blocked the electric account and Fred's account um, after Jamie's story, where uh, we talked about um, autopilot 2.5 owners having to pay uh, for full self-driving, even after when they bought autopilot 2.5, Tesla said that this is all the hardware they'll ever need. So we thought that was like, hey, this guy doesn't seem to be, you know, playing fair, I guess, so to speak. Um, so, there, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, nuance to this. I found the uh, interview um, that he gave with, um, I think, Chris Anderson, uh, mm-hmm. he used to be a Wired editor, uh, really revealing in that um, he didn't really know much about how Twitter works, um, how, you know, you know, he's like, is that is that illegal to 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 yell fire in a in a, a theater? Well, it should be. Um, he also uh, didn't really seem to have like any sort of moderation, like plans, concrete plans. Let's say concrete plans about like right. It, it, it didn't seem be... like he had thought this whole thing through. So the, yeah, uh, regarding that, here's my my quick take on it. I really that like I have to think that he has someone in mind to do this to 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 run this this whole show because I I don't think he can take take this on right now. Like I don't, I don't think it makes sense for him to take this on. And from that interview, what I I got a lot out of it is um, 
a lot of his plans sounds like exactly what Jack Dorsey has been uh, advocating for for a while, but hasn't been able to implement right. because he's not as influential as as him on on the board. Uh, so I, I have this this kind of uh, fantasy that like because I, I, again, like you just explained, like we don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I believe everything Elon says about free speech. Like uh, I mean, we, we literally, he literally told us at one point that uh, we shouldn't uh, have access to Tesla because we posted information that he didn't want to be out there. Like so, like so that, that's literally not not free speech. Like you don't <laughs> you're trying to censor what what we're saying here. Um, and then I'm not talking just about like blocking people on Twitter. Obviously, you can blocking people on Twitter is uh, not directly related to free speech. Like you can still speak and not. Uh, I don't have to be heard by everyone, but uh, anyway. So my, my like my perfect scenario that I could see happen would be that he takes over Twitter and he, he just gives it. Well, I say gave gave it back to, to like give full power back to Jack Dorsey right. so that he can implement his his plan that have been ongoing for a long time in in terms of uh, uh, making the platform open source or sourcing the code at. Uh, um, at Twitter, like that's something that he mentioned directly in that interview yesterday, where he would put the whole thing on GitHub, basically let everyone analyze it, anyone critique it. Uh, that's something that Jack Dorsey had been advocating for for a while, but he just couldn't get done. Um, things about also uh, the uh, well, you, Jack Dorsey had suggested like a compromise, like we keep a moderated Twitter like, like we have right now, and we launch uh, an exact version of it, but without the moderation, other than like he said. Anything that's unlawful gets removed. Uh, the like, like the old good old days of Reddit, basically, like, <laughs> where uh, that was that was the Reddit philosophy at one point. Uh, of course, th- that as soon as money gets into it, like people get the the, the and it gets hard to get uh, advertising. Reddit move away from that. If you have this this company private and you manage to uh, move people to a subscription based service. Like that's not as big of an issue. Um, now, I think the idea, though, Jack Dorsey might have suggested that that you have both versions at the same time as a compromise because he couldn't get it done. Now, if Elon uh, would be the majority owner of the company, uh, may- maybe they don't have the two versions; they just have the the Wild West version, if you will. So that that could that could be interesting. Like I could see that happening. That, that would be uh, a good, like a kind of almost like an altruistic move from from Elon. But if he takes over and uh, he gets personally, like inv- like he said, of course, I'm not going to get personally involved in moderation. Don't worry. But there's there's uh, obvious concerns from the the world richest man owning what is being sold as like the world's town square, the world uh, platform for discussion, and uh, like this. There's concerns in that. Yeah, and you you mentioned something. Like, you know, a revenue model, like Elon said in the interview that he doesn't care about, you know, and making money or whatever. But at the same time, he said he wanted to keep on the largest 200 shareholders. So 2000, he wants to keep as many shareholders that it's allowed in the private company. I think that's more of a move of like, he doesn't want to have to take out too much money in order to, uh, to buy the, the, for like the, like if he has to like put 20 million, $20 billion, that's fine. But, uh, doesn't want to put much more than that. But how do you keep like, you know, capitalists on, you know, on board Mm -hmm. when you have no desire to make money or, or whatever? I mean, 
it just it just doesn't sound like he thought this whole thing through. Usually, he knows every single little bit about you know, like he obviously mm-hmm. knows electric vehicles quite well. He knows spaceships, mm-hmm. you know, surprisingly well for a CEO. Mm-hmm. Like most CEOs don't know as much as he does about the companies they run. He doesn't seem to know much about the, how Twitter works. I mean, it it sounds like you're right. It sounds like he's just going to install Jack Dorsey to run Twitter the way Jack Dorsey wants to run Twitter. That's, that's kind of the feeling I got. Um, and Jack Dorsey um, has said nothing since, uh, you know, he said when it was time for Elon to join the board, Jack Dorsey was like, yeah, everybody's going to work great together. And then yeah. he shut up, you know, really quiet about everything. Yeah, that that's my my concern. Like that, like I said, that's my fantasy scenario. If everything happens well, because also like again, we 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 don't necessarily we don't really cover Twitter here. We call we we cover Tesla. We cover electric vehicle transition. But I think it's obviously relevant with uh, Elon being behind that because first of all, Elon has had an incredible impact on Tesla, and he continues to have an incredible impact on Tesla, which is critical to the world's transition to renewable energy, and him taking on this thing, which is, it's going to be so hard like to, to do that. Like um, it, it's just gonna, it's take, it takes away from the, the main mission again. Like it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a weird move from him. Uh, I, I, I honestly don't understand it completely. And I only would understand completely against if it was something like just, I, I'm going to, I, I can afford I can afford it. Let's just me do it. Put Jack in charge, and that's going to be better for everyone after that. Um, but like you said, the fact that Dorsey stopped talking about it after uh, Elon said he, he quit the board, and also Elon himself never mentioned anything about Dorsey or anyone else running the show for him at, at Twitter, uh, which I don't see a value in him not mentioning that because I, I I feel like I mean I don't know how much Dorsey was liked at Twitter, but he was. I think fair, fairly well liked because uh, they they begged him to come back uh, at one point. Like, uh, so I I think this whole thing would go smoother if Elon was would be straight out like uh, Jack Dorsey and I agree on a lot of things in, in, regarding Twitter. So I just want to make it easier for him to implement those. Uh, well, of course, Dorsey's also super busy with uh, with block and, and everything. So. Right. I mean, he's got a whole crypto scene happening and that, and that theoretically would drive Twitter to even like higher levels of integration with crypto for better or worse. Um, the one thing that was kind of eerie to me was, uh, when Chris Anderson asked Elon, if there's like a plan B, um, he said, yep. And you know, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but like, do you have any idea what the plan B is? I'm assuming the plan B is if, you know, Twitter board says no. It, does Elon do a, you know, just buy out shares or what? What? What's the? Uh, I I don't know if you want to get into buying out share. I, I I think at this point, especially since he's already floated the idea of starting a company platform, I think he would act on his threat to sell shares if he um, to reconsider his investment position. If they don't accept the offer, sell those share and invest that into starting another platform. Yeah. Um, that that's another extremely risky move because plenty of people have done it before. I've tried it before and uh, everyone else has failed like trying to, well, not fail completely. And uh, like there's platform like minds, for example, that are still growing and existing. Like there are Twitter copy that are more based around free speech, but 
Of course, they don't have an Elon Musk behind it. They don't have $3 billion behind it. Uh, that would all be super helpful. It's just super difficult to take someone that has been in a, a platform, an ecosystem like Twitter for a long time and just take them out of that. It's super difficult to do. Yeah, especially since uh, Elon and his fan club on Twitter have you know been on Twitter. So they would all have to just you know ghost Twitter and, and jump on another platform. I guess that's kind of what happened to Trump and his... Uh, his crew. Yeah, but then a lot of people that weren't banned in his crew, like they still use that platform because like right. it's 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 uh it's just more convenient and, and you have access to a, a much larger user um right. user base. So I, I don't even know if like that would be successful. Like never bans never bet against Elon, but uh right. like it's it's actually one of those it's it sounds wild because if you ask me what's more difficult to do, a social media platform uh, a, an electric vehicle company, a rocket company, a tunneling company, like which one is more difficult to, to get going? Like obviously the, the social media platform would be the last on your list of, of, of difficulties. But in, in, in this day and age, Twitter would have to screw up so bad, so bad for it to, to completely fail. And right. Twitter Grid's already failing, to, failing on, the, on like a, at least a valuation scale. Like the only reason this is happening right now is that Twitter was only worth $30 billion when Elon started investing in it, uh, which is a fraction of what like Facebook is, is valued at. Right. Probably a fraction of even LinkedIn. Uh, I would assume that LinkedIn is, was worth a lot more too. I'm not even sure, but... I, I think they're part of Microsoft now. Oh, uh, that's right. Uh, they're not, they're, they're not uh, on the public market separately though? Uh, I don't know. Uh, just like how much LinkedIn value, uh, even like how much uh, Microsoft paid for it, would be uh, would be uh, interesting to know because anyway, twenty six billion. So basically, the uh, basically Twitter when when Elon started investing right. in it. Well, that, but yeah, I mean, that, there's going to be a lot that can come out. Like uh, I know that the Wall Street Journal uh, is writing an article right now about uh, ju- just to understand Elon's uh, what he sees in terms of his per the personal value in uh, in Twitter in terms of his own use to it. Uh, and they've been reaching out to a lot of people that have interacted with Elon through Twitter, including ourselves. And um, it's going to be interesting because they, they're doing it from a data standpoint. So Elon obviously sees a ton of value in the platform. He's been extremely successful at it, uh, but <laughs> which yeah. leads a lot of people to be worried. Though. Like if he's, he valued the impact that he had on his own career on his, his own impact on the world so much uh there's a natural fear of like is he going to just try to amplify that uh, i think it's a natural fear to have for the most part i believe elon in, i believe he's sincere in, in his in his uh goals with that but i think the fear is still warranted to to a degree like to, at least to, to some kind of degree yeah, and there's always a possibility that, you know, obviously Twitter Twitter's board is probably reaching out to Google and Apple and saying, hey, now would be a good time to buy us if you're ever going to think about buying us. You know, like, make an offer, we'll take it. Um, that's that's so, a good point. So we don't know how this is all going to shake out, and that's kind of why it's so interesting and exciting. Um, it's hard for me to, like, when I think about all the possibilities, I can't, like, you know, I, I just get so, like, 
wound up in, in so many different possibilities. And it's such a big part of our lives, you know, not a huge part of our lives, but mm-hmm. Twitter is, you know, something that we do every day. So it would be quite interesting to see how this goes. Yeah. I'm still, uh, if you ask me, like, uh, I don't know what's the percentage of chance that Twitter go accept the, the offer, but, uh, if, if they do, uh, I, I still, I, I'm still hopeful that Elon will just like give up control and let it be run by someone that's going to implement all those, uh, open source idea. And if that's the case, I think that's going to be good for the platform. I think honestly, it's going to, it's going to be a good thing. So I'm not too much on the fear side of, of things, but, uh, I am worried that he takes on these this thing. That, that that's my my biggest worry about this whole thing, which kind of lead us to this this interview too yesterday because there was a Twitter talk, but there was a bunch of other talk too that I just don't understand. Because in my view, Elon won already. Like he, he has he, like Tesla won, Elon won, and. Sometimes he doesn't act necessarily like a winner with that stuff. Like, there's a lot of dredging up the past. That at least there was in this in his interview here uh, on, on on a few things. There was the, this weird question like that that came out. Like if he could go back in the past and change one decision, he decided to bring up the fact that the the whole controversy with the founding of Tesla and. He then he blasted Martin Heberhard at the, at the same time. At first, I thought he was going to play it cool, at least, like because you know, the, the question was not even about Tesla. It was just like one decision that you can change. And his answer was, I would start Tesla just with GB Straubel pictured here instead of uh, invest in, in, in what Tesla was at the time, which was a company that was founded by uh, Martin Tarpening and, and Martin uh, Heberhard. At first, I thought, okay, that's 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 a fair response and everything. And he didn't mention Martin Eberhard or anything, but uh, then he, you, you could see him bubbling with it, like the the rage was starting to bubble. And then he was, he, and then he had to mention it. He was like, because you know, like uh, there's this this guy that uh, Martin Eberhard that went on like a, a mission. He made it his life mission, if I'm quoting correctly, uh, to make it sound like I wasn't the founder of Tesla. And I'm like, dude. You own 20% of the one of the biggest companies in the world right now in Tesla. You're the CEO of the company. There's no one in their right mind that wouldn't give you credit for bringing the company to where it is right now. Like, just let it go. <laughs> yeah. Just let that one go. Uh, for people who don't remember, like, the, he's not, like, he's not an official, like, original founder of the company because the company was incorporated in 2003 by again tarpening in Eberhard. and uh, then and I, the, then between that and Elon there was actually another person that came on board Ian Wright uh, for those who remember he, he, that guy went out he didn't stay long like just a few years and then he founded like Wright Speed that did uh, electric trucks or hybrid trucks Elon joined in 2004 early 2004 so Uh, less less than a year after the company was founded, and again, to be fair, at that point the company was was nothing really. Like it was, they were not doing it much. Like they, it was mainly an idea with some very small seed money. And he joined with the Series A investment round, so the very first non-seed investment round. And he invested six point five million of the seven point five million round. So basically, he, he led the whole round. And at that time, also, um, 
JB joined the company and how Elon was made uh, aware of Tesla at the time was that uh, JB already uh, was aware of the project uh, because the project started in the Bay Area and JB was kind of involved in in the very small EV community in the Bay Area at that point. He converted a a Porsche, I think, uh, that uh, that he did. Yeah, but that and was then, like in high school, I think. Uh, no, uh, yeah, that was might have been in high school, but at, at that point, he was out of uh, Stanford. So JB connected them to connect Elon to AC Propulsion, which AC Propulsion was already connected to Tesla, and then they all got together basically. And I, I was like, all right, let me invest in that. He became chairman. So he wasn't officially a founder at that point, but the company wouldn't really exist without him because he he put the only money that they had at that point. And again, he was like basically employee four and GB employee five of the company. You know, there, there's one thing, however, I, I have to say, Martin Eberhard wasn't a good manager, wasn't a good CEO. Like we know all that stuff, mm. but he did come up with the idea of putting, you know, laptop batteries into an electric car. That was his. Um, he had built like an e-reader beforehand with mm-hmm. tarpening. And I mean, like it's, it's fact, like, you know, we can look in the archives, like that was his idea. Yeah. Um, You can look at the original pitch deck for Tesla pre Elon Musk, before Elon Musk was on board. And there's a, it looks a lot. It's not, of course, the idea of Tesla evolved over the years. Like the, now you have like the solar panels, you have like a bunch of things and everything. Uh, you have the AI, you have the autonomous driving, you have all that stuff. That's all like Elon pushing that for sure. But I mean, the core idea of taking lithium ion batteries off the shelf, making a very energy dense battery pack out of it and making an electric vehicle that's just as if not more compelling than their gasoline power counterpart at that time was definitely Eberhard and Tarpening's idea that they pushed hard for for years. Now, to Elon's credit, if it wasn't from him, the company wouldn't have got to the Roadster. And if it wasn't for him kicking out Heberhard, probably Tesla would have failed around the Roadster release uh, because of significant issue with Heberhard's uh, management of the program. That's all fair. But even though, like, okay, so, like, what's Heberhard's big, like, fault here? He didn't successfully manage the Roadster program. That's really at the core of it. That's his fault. And big whoop, like 99% of the population probably would have failed at that, at doing that. Uh, and so kudos to Elon and GB and everyone else that was involved in making that successful. Uh, but that, that's it. That doesn't erase all the good that he's done for electric vehicle. I still, I still consider Heberhard to be like a very important part of uh, the electric vehicle re- revolution. And I don't know why Elon went out of his way to blast him literally uh, 13 years after Evan won. Like he won, he won, not only he won like at life, like at the business, at, at the EV revolution being like the biggest part of it. He literally won the court case that made him a founder of the company. Like uh, during that time when he, when Eberhard was ousted, uh, there was uh, lawsuits and counter lawsuits about who should uh, who owns part of Tesla. And like, of course, of course, like Eberhard had a CEO compensation plan, and then he was ousted as CEO and all that. And the judge literally said, "You know what? Based on all the information, yes, of course, Tarpening and Eberhard should be considered founders, co-founders, but uh, Jan Wright." 
uh, JB Straubel and Elon, basically um, the five first employees of the company, should all be considered co-founders, which I thought was a perfectly fine compromise to have hidden there. But no, he had to blast him on that. Um, and then he had to dredge up the SEC too. <laughs> which, that was weird. Oh, that 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 you leave that alone. And uh, we we saw another side of him that was interesting around that. Like, you, you, did you just get that? The whole like, uh, I'm obsessed with truth, and uh, uh, oh, that was weird. Yeah, which I get from the the physics standpoint. Like, okay, like this is like the fundamental truth truth about the universe, and uh, that you get you can get an obsession about that, especially with Elon's kind of mindset. Uh, but then going from that to I'm obsessed with the truth, and they force me to um, uh, to, uh, to to settle. Uh, they, so we, we already kind of knew a lot about that uh, from February when the Elon's lawyers uh, kind of petitioned the court to uh, recant the, the settlement and, and, and make the Twitter's, uh, the, the SEC's Twitter police type of uh, clause go away. But here's the, the main fact. Like if I could, I could get behind Elon, like just dredging that, that pass, if just if one thing bring some clear proof that the funding was secure. So that, cause that was the, the big change yesterday. What he said, uh, he, he, he said like, you know what? The funding was indeed secured. And the only reason that I settled with the SEC is because the Tesla was in financial troubles at the time. We needed to raise money. And the banks told us that we will, they will, Tesla will not be able to raise money in the <coughs> middle of a SEC investigation. So settle the investigation. Um, so Elon, like, suddenly, I don't think they even admitted to wrongdoing or anything like that. So technically, he's, he didn't like say that he lied. He never said that he lied. He just like they just settled basically, uh, and he, he took the slap on the wrist, which it was a slap on the wrist. Let's be honest. They made him buy forty million dollars worth of share that make him like a five hundred million dollar richer because of that. Like, let's let's not go crazy here. And right. So my my only thing. So Elon, when again he said. The funding was indeed secured, and this SEC knew it, which the SEC repeatedly said that they don't think it was secured. So just bring us some clear proof where, where it was coming from, because it wasn't coming from him. The money wasn't coming from him at 420 a, a share back then. Elon was rich back then, but not that rich. Uh, so the, the, I don't know if you remember, said that it was rumors of uh, uh, of the Saudis right. uh, being interested in investing to take this a private uh, rumors of Volkswagen. The Volkswagen kind of denied the rumors, but what it sounded to me, basically, both the Saudis and the Volkswagen rumors might have been true, but they were through of like some early type of talks, right? Like exactly, not, it's nothing that you could really say that funding was secured. So Elon didn't offer any more proof yesterday about that, and I went back to the, the his lawyer's letter to the court from from February, and all all they said it. Like literally, the argument is like Elon never had problem raising money for any of his projects. That doesn't really make it funding secured. Like the funding secured is it's kind of a very specific language here. Um, so so I I don't know where he, like, and again he won he won on that. Like this the SEC looks like morons making him pay forty million dollars for what is now worth fifty uh, five hundred million dollars or something. And uh, and Tesla is not in any financial trouble at this point. It's, so the only thing that remains is like maybe the SEC is going to subpoena him sometimes when he tweets something that probably shouldn't tweet, to be honest. So right. like, what's the big deal? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, 
and it like if you're in the camp where you don't believe that Elon is saying everything that is 100% true, it kind of feels like this is what his new lawyer is kind of telling him to say. And like this mm. is the new case uh, that they're going against the SEC to try to, you know, get his Twitter access back. Although mm. he's been tweeting all kinds of crazy stuff the whole time. So I don't know yeah. like what, what he's even missing. But it, to me, it feels like his new lawyer is like, hey, you had funding secured, you know, mm-hmm. just you didn't really have, you know, it, it wasn't written down, but like you had a handshake. To, that's that's secure, you know, whatever. You know, so it kind of feels like something like that. And yeah, I mean, this is the guy who every year says full self-driving is coming, you know, like clearly. This is the year. This is the year. So that, was, the year. That, that was also part of the interview. Right. And Anderson uh, asked him again. And he was like, yeah, but I think this is the year. <laughs> It's crazy because in the same breath, he's like, yes, I know every other year I've said this for mm-hmm. the past six years, but this time I know I'm right. Even though every other time he said, I know I'm right this time, like it's coming this year. And it's, and like, he might, he might be right. Cause I want, he's going to be, like, he's going to be right. The, my main issue one day with this is. is like, is like, what's the actual Where, where's the actual goalpost on this though on the on the FSD? Because I, I like this time the way he phrased it because he, he changed the phrasing of the of the goalpost uh, several times. So this time with this is the I think this is the year after being wrong several times. He said that the the, the level of safety is going to be just greater than human, but that that doesn't mean much because greater than human ain't that good uh, and right. probably not good enough for a lot of regulators to 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 approve the, the system. So even if they achieve that, which, but it, it would, again, achieve it that within the standpoint of Tesla's uh, vision-based AI approach, it has a great significance and I'm not discounting here. Like this is, this is incredible achievement, but this is nowhere near a uh, robo taxi level, I think. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't think the Tesla network, uh, Uber like app is going to be, uh, launched be- because they, they, they determined that they are, Uh, a little bit safer than, than human drivers, especially depending on what kind of uh, metrics you use to determine that too. Because so far, Tesla hasn't been great about releasing those metrics. On that front, on the FSD front at this point, like I, I've been, a, I, I've said it several times, on, I'm in on the put up or shut up phase of it. Like give us clear data about uh, what's the disengagement rate on the FSD beta program uh, so that we can track correctly what kind of progress Tesla is making with the program because using the anecdotal data from the the the, the YouTubers and, and, and the, the, the Tesla Twitter people is just impossible to do. Yeah. I mean, I've used FSD. It didn't seem like it was a year away or two years mm-hmm. away. Um, so that's anecdotal on my part. But like, what if, what if Elon said, well, two things, like, first of all, he's like, you know, Twitter should open source their, their algorithm. Why doesn't Twitter open source autopilot? Like we'll see exactly, you know, what Tesla, being... Tesla open source autopilot. Yes, Tesla, sorry. <laughs> so I don't see why that doesn't yeah. happen if if that's the important part that everybody should know and we should, you know, have yeah. some sort of knowledge of what's going on. The second part is if he really truly believes it, put some money behind it. Say, mm. hey, if full self-driving doesn't come this year after I've been saying for six years, you get your money back for full self-driving or you get, you know, mm. some percentage back. Then I will start to believe that he's really believes that what he's saying. 
Yeah, that's that. That would be interesting. I don't. I don't see it happening. But <laughs> I don't see it happening either because I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Like, and somewhere, like I don't know what part of Elon's brain believes what he's coming out of his mouth, but somewhere he knows that full self driving is not coming this year. Well, I think I think he knows that at least it's not the way that he's been talking about it for a while because, like again, the the timeline has changed, but also the goalposts has changed. So. Maybe he's right about the, the safety standard, but again, like literally, if if at the very end of the year Tesla says, "Oh, we, we are safer than human," but by, based on what, based on the data of the beta program, where the human has to be always ready to take control at the time, like this is, yes, this is probably safer than just a human driving by himself, but it's it's not comparable to if no one is in a car. Like it's not the same thing. Anyway, yeah, and and today's like. Today, if you're going to drive two autopilot software, Super Cruise is better because you don't have to put your hand on the wheel. You don't. I mean, it works only on interstates and and you know some highways. It doesn't work on the back roads, but literally, it's boring. I was in the you know a couple of weeks ago. I was in the um, the Hummer EV Super Cruise. Put it on, hands off the wheel, just looking out like a passenger drives fine like it works and you don't have to have your hand on the wheel pushing on the wheel and you know like there's already software out there that's better than tesla's autopilot so i don't understand why this is like you know like tesla's it you know the 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 tesla thinks it's in such a huge lead with this when it it exists elsewhere well it's uh well it leads us to another thing that he talked about a lot of the shows like now now he believes firmly that Solving full self driving is solving base. You need to solve general AI basically. So the way the way you see it, because of his vision based approach, you need to solve AI and, and computer vision. Of course, the two are intricately linked. But Tesla has as that. And to be fair, yes, like you say. So you say from a consumer's perspective, yes, there's software out there that is very comparable to te- to Tesla Autopilot, if not even better. Super Cruise. I've been driving the, the Mustang Mackey for for a few weeks now, and on the highway, using I don't even know the name of the the Ford system. It's like Blue but Cruise link, or something. Blue Cruise. Uh, Blue Cruise. It's uh, it, it works it works well on the highway for the lane keeping and and the um uh the the the, the traffic aware cruise control. The only thing it doesn't have really is the automatic lane change. Um, so, so that's the only difference, but for the most part, like it, from a consumer standpoint, it works. I, I feel the main, the same level of, uh, confidence in it and, uh, convenience than when I'm driving my model through an autopilot. So it's very comparable, but on the back ends of things, when you get into a full self-driving better car and, um, you look at how they recognize its environment, there's no one else that's, that's like that, I think right now. Uh, and no one else that can run the kind of software that Tesla can run in car either, I think. Uh, so that's, that's I think, where they, they have a big, uh, 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 comparably uh, maybe of uh, uh, what you have in uh, Waymo or, or Cruise. Uh, but those are company cars. I mean, that's not something as in a consumer vehicle. So Tesla has definitely an advantage on, on that front. It's just how does it translate into a consumer product just yet uh, that's useful for the consumer that you're not literally a tester like the FSD beta people are right now. Uh, that That is harder to see. But uh, Elon seems to really think that Tesla is on the path to solve general AI. Uh, and 
to almost simultaneously apply it to full self-driving and uh, general use robot, or at least not, uh, well, the Optimus program is not, it doesn't, now you change, again, it change the goalpost a little bit on that. It's not really going to be a general robot at first. It's going to be a few years before that, uh, but uh, it's going to at first just uh, try to tackle tasks that are repetitive and boring or dangerous. But the fact that Tesla think that it's a year away from that, or just a little bit more than a year away from that, and full self-driving at the same time, it's truly hard to believe unless there's some kind of incredible breakthrough, AI breakthrough at Tesla that we uh, are not seeing coming. Well, yeah, uh, should we do a quick ad read on Recurrent? Yep. All right. This week, the Electric Podcast is sponsored by Recurrent, battery ports for EV owners. With Recurrent, you can check the battery before buying a used EV, monitor your battery performance over your entire ownership with monthly insights, then command higher resale values with battery condition report when it's time to trade in. Recurrent gives people confidence in EV batteries, whether they're a first-time buyer or a long-time EV owner. While legacy combustion engines have 2,000 parts, an electric motor has two dozen. The most important and expensive part of an EV is the battery, and it's literally a black box. Recurrent makes battery performance and expected range over time more transparent. Reports are free for individual owners, and Recurrent also has paid options available for car dealers to run bulk reports. You can sign up for your free report at recurrentauto.com or by hitting the link in the show notes. Yes, this so. is a pretty good product. Uh, I'm kind of actually excited that they're sponsoring. Um, it seems like a, you know a, something that's missing from uh, electric vehicle uh, owners like has somebody trashed my, you know, a battery. If you're buying a Nissan Leaf, for instance, is it uh, something that uh, welcome you to, need to worry about? Our reports give so, you confidence. Oh, sorry, I thought I thought I could show the the battery report in there, but uh, they don't. Uh, there's there's just a video and I show it. We're gonna try to get a, a battery uh, like uh, an example of the the battery health report next time uh, to to show you guys. Uh, but here's the eligibility of the vehicle. So everything from a Tesla to a Volvo, Audi. Uh, and uh, and Ford as EVs are, are eligible. That's good to know too. Yep, looks like a great product. Yes. All right, let me um, bring back the show note right here, and we're back. All right. Um, yeah, uh, moving on to uh, the so the, last week there was the Cyber Rodeo at Giga Texas. And uh, we, we, we share that our, our biggest like uh, concern or like the thing that we were most disappointed by is that there was not really much information about the new Model Y made in Texas uh, with the standard range all-wheel drive. Uh, but uh, we got now the information that Tesla shared with employees that uh, were able to buy the car. And like we suspected at the time, we, we suspected that since Tesla hasn't listed the product now, most likely the only offering to some employees which we were able to confirm Tesla delivered just 20 vehicles that day and they were all for employees. But what they uh, shared with employees is that uh, again, the cars, the Model Y standard range all-wheel drive, it has uh, 279 miles of EP range, uh, as we discussed last time. The starting price is $60,000, uh, which uh, has been disappointing for a lot of people. They thought that it would be a little bit lower than that because it's just $3,000 less expensive than the the long range all-wheel drive and all less. And um, here's the thing, like uh, it's not about really the value. It's about what Tesla can sell it at. And 
right. probably can sell it at any price right now if they wanted to. They could sell it probably five bucks less than the 330 miles model Y, and a bunch of people would buy it just because they want to buy the the Texas made one, the one that has the 4680 cells. Even though we don't have much information about that, like about how how that affects like the longevity of the battery uh, and, and, and the weight of the vehicle, would like to know. I'd like to know the weight of that car. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Char- charging speed, cold, heat, all those things have yet good to be point. Like, yeah, the top charging rate on the 4680 cell would be very interesting to have. Um, then uh, what else is new on that car? Oh yeah, zero to sixty in uh, five seconds. So basically the same speed as the long range, which is four point eight. And um, there's uh, there's a few other changes that was was told by uh, Tesla employees. So there's a magnet six center console armrest. Not sure what that means. I assume that the center console in the opening is magnetic this time. And a porcel shelf uh, in the back, too. So that's cool. But uh, the vehicle is not yet listed on the website, but I assume it's going to be coming in the next few weeks as Tesla ramp up production. Speaking of pricing, we have another vehicle that got pricing this week. Uh, U.S. pricing for the Toyota BZ4X. Uh, coming in at $42,000. So uh, basically what we expected, or at least a, maybe it'll been a little bit better, uh, here are the, the trims. So you can get the XLE or the limited version. You can get it in front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. So the difference between the uh, XLE and, and limited is the, the package, so a little bit more premium package than the limited version. Bigger wheels. Uh, let me see. Uh, you get... Uh, yeah, 20 inch wheels and 18 inch wheels. They don't talk about the range difference on those, but obviously it's going to be affected. Uh, the price difference is uh, extremely small for uh, if you want front wheel drive or all wheel drive, just $2,000 more uh, to get the, the all wheel drive version. Uh, you don't have any uh, battery pack differences. So uh, the, um, the, the, the difference is uh, in range is only if you get the dual motor versus the, the, the front wheel drive. So 252 miles of range. If you have just the front motor, uh, all wheel drive drops you down to 228 miles of range. It's not most efficient car out there, but it's pretty efficient too, because uh, uh, 118 for the, the most efficient version of it. Uh, sorry, 131 for the most efficient. Version of that, that, that's, that's actually out there. That's actually yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, did they see the battery pack capacity? That would be interesting to have because it shouldn't be too big if it gets. Uh, Are these kind of, uh, BYD uh, battery packs? Mm, I can't remember question. what BYD was using or Toyota was using BYD. I knew they were using BYD for something, but I can't remember who it was. Well, they were for the, the only other electric vehicle that they have is the one that they sell in China. So China, yeah. That was definitely using BYD. Uh, but yeah, forty-two thousand dollars, and you, you can only run it up to forty-eight if you want to build the limited version and the all-wheel drive. So, it, and with Toyota, you still have access to, or at least th- this car is coming uh, in the U.S. in in the spring. And um, Toyota just warned this week too that they expect to hit their threshold of two hundred thousand deliveries in the U.S. sometime this summer. Uh, so that will phase out the 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 um, tr- the that will. Uh, start the phase out period of the $7,500 tax credit. I think you get it for six more months. So you should have it all year. So everyone that gets a BZ4X delivery this year should get uh, the full 7500 So that brings you down to about the $35,000 car. Uh, 
very interesting price point. Then, uh, then after that, it starts reducing the tax rate gradually over the, the period of a year. So uh, Toyota is still good for a while. I mean, there's still the talks of the federal tax credit reform for electric vehicles, but uh, at this point, we're not really betting on that happening with the state of the legislative process in the U.S. at this point. Uh, Volkswagen is uh, is hinting to some upcoming improvements to the electric vehicles on its MEB platform, which is now basically all its vehicles on all its electric vehicles. People mostly think about the ID3 and ID4, but you have the uh, ID5, ID, well, ID5, ID4, basically the same car. ID6 coming, you have the ID Buzz. And then the ID Live and the Ario B, the like a business uh, wagon that they're going to have. Uh, they are talking about the range increasing to up to seven, uh, 700 kilometers, which is 435 miles of range. Uh, this was a presentation in Europe. So we assume that they're using the WLTP standard, but still, they, they, they could, we could be talking about easily vehicles that are over 350 miles of range EPA at this point. So that's starting to get really interesting. Uh, increasing the charging power, that has been an area where the ID4, ID3 have been lacking a little bit uh, against the competition. Uh, now over 200 kilowatts of charging power, that would be very interesting. Acceleration, 5.5 seconds. Like the, we, We've talked about that before, but the Volkswagen is definitely not really like pushing towards the, the performance acceleration uh, of, of its vehicle. Like they are, they're, not, uh, they're not banking on that. Um, in terms of a 700 kilometers, 400 miles range, I think that they're going to reserve that for the Aero B, the, the, like the wagon aerodynamic version of it. ID Life, you can forget about that kind of range. Like the idea behind the ID Life is going to be a very low price point. You're yeah, cheap about, price. Yeah, they're talking about like a $25,000 electric car. So that's going to be uh, replacing like the, uh, what is it, the E Up that they have? Uh, the yeah. Small yeah, cheapest version. Yeah, it's actually. Volkswagen in the U.S. is a, uh, I, I don't want to say a premium brand, but it's its definitely on the higher end. In Europe, they make like, you know, the base yeah. model cars, like really, really, really base model cars. Well, they think the Americans only want the big cars. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Which to a degree, it's true. But uh, I mean, there's a market for everything every year. Um, all right. We have a few more news items I want to discuss. Then we're going to jump into the comment section. We're already running close to an hour because we talked about this Twitter thing for so long. Uh, sorry about that, guys. But if you have any questions, we're going to try to get to them in a few minutes. So put them in the comment section right now when I get to them. Um, Lucid announced a performance version of the Air GT. So we had the Dream Edition that they've been delivering for a while. Now they move delivery to the GT version. But uh, they seem to think that uh, the people, they are in thing the fact that people are asking for, for, for more performance uh, uh, version. So they, uh, they decided to release a, a Grand Touring performance version of the Air instead of just the Grand Touring. So they unlock a little bit of horsepower. So at over 1,000 horsepower instead of 819, uh, bringing the, the speed down from 3 seconds 0 to 60 to 2.6, uh, extremely fast. And uh, you lose some range, obviously, with it uh, from 469 to 446. Um, of course, you can also have the Grand Touring version with over 500 miles of range if you get the smaller wheels. But they make it sound like you can only get the 21-inch wheels for the, the performance version. Uh, delivery starting in the U.S. in June. And uh, you need to be willing to drop $180,000 on this. That's a lot. Yeah. It's getting up there. Apparently, they, they, feel, they feel like the people want to do that because... Because they are del- you can they are delivering right now the Grand Touring version, which is not cheap either, one hundred and forty thousand, one hundred and thirty nine thousand dollars. But 
that I see your market for because I mean, look at the Model S right now. Model S is also super expensive, not quite at that level. But I mean, if you can afford a hundred and five thousand dollar car, maybe you can afford a hundred and thirty nine thousand dollar car. Right. And the Air Grand Touring has the option of having five hundred miles of range, which I, I'm not the biggest fan of that. But uh, I, I know that a lot of people like the they really it's a big selling point for them. Yep. Um. All right. Oh, yeah. That's that's the news that actually came out last weekend uh, that went quite viral. Uh, but go ahead, Seth, that's, since you posted it. Yeah. So GM Cruise Autonomous Taxi was pulled over by police in San Francisco without humans, and then it took off. And then Cruise responded uh, saying that it actually wasn't taking off. It was finding a safe spot. Um, Even though it was which, already quite in a safe spot. <laughs> it, it seemed like a safe spot. And like... You know, once you're pulled over by the cops, you're not supposed to take <laughs> off. But uh, apparently the software decided that it, it was going to leave. Um, so, you know, this was a uh, I can't remember who showed it to me, but I, somebody showed me the Instagram picture, uh, Instagram video. So I, I put it on Twitter and um, it got a lot of um, it went viral. feedback it went viral. And so I, I was like, ah, I better post a story, even though it's Saturday. I'm supposed to be with my kids. And um, Cruz got back to me. Uh, via Twitter, and um, they also emailed with the same stu- same stuff, saying that uh, chiming in with more details, our AV yielded to the police vehicle, then pulled over to the nearest safe location for the traffic stop, as intended. An officer contacted cruise personnel, and no citation was issued. We work closely with the SFPD on how to interact with vehicles, including dedicated phone number for them to call in situations like this. It's amusing, but like this is something that's going to happen. This is the first time something like this has happened, but it's going to happen a lot. That we in the know they, they make it sound like it right. happens more than we think. <laughs> yeah. And like, frankly, why haven't they publicized like the full details? Like, why did it get pulled over? Like, you know what? Yeah. What, you speculated that it might be the light. Uh, like the lights are off. Like, yeah, know. the lights are off in this yeah. scenario, you know, this yeah. time. So I don't know. I, I mean, we don't even know if it was, driving when it got pulled over maybe it was just sitting there on the side of the mm-hmm. road with the hazards on um so i look forward to cruise kind of explaining the situation and uh but more more importantly i think it got people talking about like all right you know this is something that the future is going to have how do we deal with these things so hopefully that's you know both cruise and the sfpd and waymo and tesla and everybody else are starting to think about these things. Like maybe the cops should have some sort of button in their thing where they just disable self-driving cars. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that would be hard to implement, but uh, right. I get your point. All right. Let's, uh, we have any, uh, any comments at this point. I know that yeah, was a we... lot of discussion today, but uh, it's going to be hard to find actual question in there. Oh no. Some people actually use that question. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Spike 43, Spikes 43 says, how can Tesla not miss out on the future incentives for charging infrastructure when they're, they are able to scale chargers so much more effectively? Yeah, I guess, uh, that's a, that's a good point. That's a, that's a, a bit related to our news that we just, we just posted just now. We didn't really discuss it in the podcast, I guess, but, uh, um, it's, uh, we, we just learned from the, the program in Texas with charging incentive that, uh, Tesla was not approved for the incentive in Texas. Uh, money actually that Volkswagen was paying out uh, as part of the Dieselgate standard that uh, Texas decided to uh, 
funnel to people that um, are going to build charging stations. And it showed that Tesla is much more cost efficient in uh, in deploying their chargers, basically costing one-fifth of uh, the average uh, charging station that wasn't applicable. There was a lot of applicants in the program, a lot of like gas stations and everything. So probably a lot of people that uh, are paying like full price for a charger or two uh, and then uh, installing it. So that costs a lot of money. But also EVgo was in there, ChargePoint was in there, and uh, ChargePoint was charging also like a hundred. The, the way that we know that it was cheaper is that you could only uh, apply for 70% of the cost of the charger up to $150,000. And Tesla was asking just uh, around $30,000 per charger, while others were, were asking uh, $150,000 per charger. <laughs> so uh, if you extrapolate that to 100%, then it looks like Tesla is about like $40,000 versus $200,000 per, uh, per charger. So it's a big advantage. But yeah, so exactly the question is, how can Tesla not miss out on future incentive for charging? Well, here's the interesting thing about that too. So like a lot of incentive, they require that it's not just for a single company, So, which has been the case so far with the supercharger network. But Tesla specifically said that they were going to install char- superchargers with CCS adapters or, or even CCS connectors on the, the superchargers. So maybe like a dual charger situation like they uh, used to have in Europe when they launched a Model S with uh, CCS. Yeah, model three with CCS. Um, so yeah, they need that for sure. While they missed out on the since they already they already applied with that in mind, I don't know why we didn't they missed out on the specific incentive. Uh, the good news we discussed it last week. Tesla was invited to the White House to talk, uh, or at least to, to the Department of Transport to talk with uh, uh, the officials there along with the rest of the industry in how the, the, the bigger program, the $7.5 billion program for EV infrastructure is going to be rolled out. So Tesla was, uh, Elon Musk personally was on uh, in that meeting. So I assume that Tesla has now all the information it needs uh, to take advantage of that program and expand the supercharger network in the U.S. with, uh, what's the word, inter... Portability is that the word uh, when, when you're Inter- interoperability? Yeah, uh, no, no. That when uh, adapting to multiple standard interportability, I think maybe I'm making that up. I, I think the word is interoperability, but interoperability. Okay, maybe. Yeah, Probably. I don't know. <laughs> you really know what I mean about that. Uh, but yeah, that that would uh, uh, that would be a big deal, of course, if Tesla opens up the network. I mean, let me tell you right now, I'm on a road trip in the south of the U.S in the Mustang Mackey. And so far, so good. I went from uh, Asheville, North Carolina to Atlanta to Birmingham. No problem using the Electrify America network. But now I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm trying to go to Jackson, Mississippi. And now it's starting to be more difficult where the Electrify America network is not uh, going to help me here. I have to rely on on, on some like uh, dealership charger that are not uh, up to standards. Uh, that's going to make the road trip more difficult. If I, I had a Tesla or if I had access to the supercharger network, it would be a breeze because there's actually a few charger in Mississippi, uh, a few supercharger, um, but not, no Electrify America stations, or at least not in Jackson. It might be like on, in the south of Mississippi to, to service like uh, uh, New Orleans or something like that. But uh, um, Are you able to use plug and charge on that thing? It just uh, plugs in? I haven't been able to use it, but what I've been doing is because uh, I know I can set it up with the Ford Pass app. I just mm-hmm. haven't done it because I want. I couldn't. I did it at the first time I used it, 
and it actually didn't give me an actual price on on, on the charging and i want to do uh, all the stats so i actually have yeah. been paying myself uh on the because ford uh, lent, for people who don't know ford lent me the vehicle to do the the testing and, and they, they wanted to pay basically through the um uh, plug-in share program with the ford ford pass ford yeah ford pass mm-hmm. I think it's a, yeah it's called uh and I wanted to include the cost of charging as part of it. So I, I just, but it's pretty easy to just pay on the Edge of America station. It's uh, it's not, that, of course, plug and charge is uh, more convenient, but uh, it's it's not a, that's not an issue really. All right. Next question. Jonathan Root says, uh, when do we start calling these Tesla price hikes corporate greed and beyond inflation or production growth? Okay. Not another uh, fair question. Um, Inflation is certainly sorry. It's certainly real, <laughs> and yes. uh, uh, I think it has an impact. Doesn't as as big of an impact as uh, trying to improve margins. I don't know because like that that that's been that's the argument that uh, is backing what Jonathan is saying here is that while Tesla blame uh, supply chain issues, inflation for price increase throughout the last year. Uh, Tesla's gross profit margin have also increased on vehicles during that time. So, so you, you, you cannot just say that it's that. You're also, you're also taking advantage of the strong demand for electric vehicle right now and improving margin is definitely that. Uh, do you call that corporate greed? Look, if uh, if they were starting to pay out big dividends to shareholders be, be, because of that, if uh, a lot of people were making a ton of money, if uh, if Tesla was ending out uh, giant bonuses and everything like that, which I mean, to be fair, they kind of do to Elon. <laughs> well, through uh, through option, but uh, then yes. Uh, however, for the most part, I think Tesla is using that money to uh, increase production capacity and invest in in, in uh, uh, supply chains, especially for the uh, securing the critical materials. So, uh, it, with that in mind, I think that's the right move uh, for the the future of. Uh, sustainability and Tesla's mission really so i'm not complaining too much on that but i get i get the point for sure and it, and, and it's something to watch like that's why that's why we're here that's why like we, we we do our job and we're not always being liked by tesla and everything because even though tesla is mission focused and they're going towards that uh you can easily devolve into uh, corporate greed if uh, you're you're not careful and maybe Tesla is perfect and can do this internally and be their own watchdog, but more so often than not, that doesn't work, and you need people from the outside to uh, to keep an eye on it. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, the invisible hand of capitalism is supposed to to do that, but right now the demand's so off the off the chain that like they can probably charge even more than they are now and still have a lineup for months mm-hmm. and months. So um, when when other car makers start making enough EVs and and compelling vehicles. I think maybe Tesla will bring their prices back, maybe not down, but like they'll stop raising prices. Um, and also, like once the other gigafactories like uh, Texas and Berlin start catching up, um, I think that'll help as well. Yeah. All sure. right. Here's a very important question: Are we going to get the Twitter app in our Teslas? I mean, you got the web browser, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, Twitter is so uh, easy to use on mobile that uh, there's a lot of that that I don't understand, like Tesla bringing to uh, to, to uh, the in-car software things that are probably more useful on your on your app. I think that's going to be one that's going to be more useful than an app. But I mean, if Elon actually is successful in buying it, then yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised if that happens. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, new question. Andrew C. Have you heard of any Tesla's Texas made Tesla model Y's delivered to non-Tesla employees? I have one on order with an estimated delivery date of May in Colorado. And I'm curious which one I, I will get. Well, I mean, here's the thing, Andrew, you, you didn't buy a model Y stand in range all wheel drive. So I don't think you're going to get the one in, in, in Texas, unless Tesla reached out to you and, uh, and, and say, hey, do you want that instead of uh, whatever version of the Moai you bought? I assume the, the long range all-wheel drive. And then you're like, yeah, that works for me or something. So uh, I don't think you're going to get that. Certainly not next month in May. Um, and no, we haven't heard of non-Tesla employees taking delivery. Uh, we, we only heard of the 20 people that took delivery on the, the day of the event. All right. Uh, next question, Jed Anderson. Have there been any new developments in the expansion of electric buses and other public transportation systems in North America? Europe and Asia seem to be way ahead of us in this respect. Um, I would say there's like pretty much every day there's some news. Um, a big one from my part of the world, New York, is that uh, the, the state plans by 2030 to have to buy nothing but electric buses, school buses. Um, I think probably a bunch of other states are, are thinking the same thing. Um, that's one really big way to take a lot of diesel off the, uh, off the roads. Um, companies like Proterra and um, Lion and even Thomas and uh, Daimler have tons of new uh, big EV buses and trucks coming out all the time. So um yeah, just keep keep it locked into electric. You'll you'll get that information. Yeah, and in terms of like large scale deployment, you have uh, um, along with the seven point five billion in EV infrastructure, the seven point five billion for transport, uh, public transport, including buses. So there's going to be a similar program that's going to allow federal grants for for deploying electric vehicles. Uh, especially like school buses, which are super easy to, well, that's super easy. It's like, it already makes a ton of sense to bring them electric. So you're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah. All right. And uh, so far, this is the last question, uh, probably for you. Do you think the Canadian government is serious about the recent 2022 budget release claim that they intend to follow through with building 50,000 more public EV chargers? Probably, but uh, uh, you have to go into the details, which I haven't done on that. But a lot of the time, when they when they say that, like fifty thousand public EV chargers, uh, like we're not talking about fast charging station, which is uh, which is what you need uh, really. Uh, and for again, coming back to the trip I'm doing right now, and my concern of driving now between Birmingham and uh, Jackson. There's quite a few uh, level two stations along the way, but they don't help me for the trip I'm going to do right now. If there was a few fast charging stations along the way, uh, the trip would be easy. Uh, so if they're talking about 50,000 uh, 50, more public EV chargers, a lot of them are going to be level two, which are not completely unuseful. But uh, like if you have like a garage uh, in a city uh, with people that are they don't have uh, parking at home, and then it can make sense to like charge while they are at work if they... If you live uh, in, in, in the suburbs uh, and you're driving into town and you, you're parked there in town all day at the parking garage, which a lot of people do, uh, if you can charge during that time, well, it, you unlock a lot more value in those uh, in those garages, which are often super expensive. So uh, things like that could, could make sense. But um, for the most part, we need 
a lot of fast charging station along uh, popular routes and less popular routes too. All right, that's it for the questions. All right, well, we appreciate everyone for listening to the show this week. We're a little bit long. Uh, I hope you're still with us. If you're still with us, you're, you're a real one. Uh, and uh, we would appreciate if you can give us a thumbs up uh, just for the algorithm. It loves that. It's free to do. It takes a second, and we appreciate it. And uh, if you're listening on your podcast app, you can give us a five-star review. That's also super helpful and free to do. And uh, thank you to Recurrent, Recurrent for uh, sponsoring the show this week. And uh, we're going to see you same place, same, place, same time uh, next week.